David, I love that candle you're burning. You seem to always have a great candle burning. I am very aware of how room smells. When you've spent over a decade with a 75 pound Labrador retriever and two teenage boys, you start to worry that your house smells like the inside of a gym bag. I would imagine so. You know what I wish we'd had for the last decade? What? That Puro Air Purifier we now own and use all the time. I love my Puro Air too. Did you know that indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? Yes, I lived with two teenage boys. I can 100% testify <laughs> to that. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Gases from a preteen boy? <laughs> I'm dreading when my nephews start making those gases. Just you wait. Thankfully, Puro Air uses a stronger type of filter called HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. You wouldn't drink unfiltered tap water, so why would you breathe unfiltered air? Thanks to my Puro Air Purifier, I feel like I can breathe again. Check it out at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time, getpuroair.com. Check it out now. Welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we are so glad you've set aside a few minutes to spend with us today. In each episode of this podcast, we'll share some of what we're learning in the work we do with kids and families on a daily basis at Daystar Counseling in Nashville, Tennessee. Our goal is to help you care for the kids in your life with a little more understanding, a little more practical help, and a whole lot of hope. So pull up a chair and join us on this journey from our little yellow house to yours. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow provides meaningful screen time and shared experiences for families to help you grow in your faith together. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.gominnow.com. Sandra McCracken is a singer-songwriter and hymn writer from Nashville, Tennessee. A prolific recording artist, Sandra has produced 14 solo albums over two decades. She has had songs featured on TV, including 10,000 Angels, on ABC's Grey's Anatomy, which has had over 15 million streams. Blending the old and new, Sandra has also shown a unique ability to recast sacred scripture text into theologically rich yet accessible songs. As a published writer, she contributes a regular column in Christianity Today and released her first book, Send Out Your Light, in September 2021. Sandra, it is so fun to get to sit down with you. We were just talking about that you were one of like the top of our list oh, of people that we wanted to get to sit with because David and Melissa and I all just are crazy about you. We trust your heart. I think every conversation I have with you, wherever it is, I walk away like wanting to write things down oh, of just Thank depth you. and wisdom that you share. And so we're so excited to share you with our listeners and with this podcast. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. We really are so grateful you would be this generous with your time and just a chance to get to talk with you about your work as a songwriter and an author. Which, wait, spoiler alert, she's going to sing a song. So y'all don't like only listen to part of this thing. Listen to it all. And then however you bookmark a podcast, you're going to want to go back to it over and over. Oh. Or just 
file your albums, book, all the different Sandra things you can get your hands on. And we're going to talk about how to get there to find all that here in a few minutes. But will you just first tell us a little bit about your own story, like how and when you knew you wanted to be a writer? Man, that question goes back a long way for me. I think when I was a kid, I was a pretty shy kid, did not really want to be in front of anybody, certainly did not have the entertainer bone in my body. You know, it just wasn't really where I imagined I would land. But the writing side, I started journaling. I started writing things on note cards. I think my mom probably fostered that in me pretty young. And I remember we would write prayers and psalms and little excerpts of scripture on note cards. And from as far back as I can remember, that was a part of almost prayer and writing went hand in hand. Mm -hmm. And it was because I was being taught that. So I'm really grateful for those people like my mom that invested that in me because I see the fruit of it much later when that scripture becomes part of your life. And the writing really has grown up out of that practice, I think. So it was like the devotional practice that had to do with writing and prayer, and then it became other kinds of writing later. How'd she do that specifically? I mean, I it, it really was like a little spiral. It looked like a three by five index cards, but they were in a little spiral notebook. We would make notes, and she would ask me to write down things that I wanted to pray for and then remember and go back and see how God met those things. And so for a really young child, those things can be very simple, but it it made an impact on me. It kind of stayed with me. So by the time I was in middle school, I was writing. I was sitting in class, and especially in like the languages and the history and literature classes, I would— just think of things, my imagination would really kind of go somewhere. And so I would write down things in the margins. And I, I think I started songwriting probably in English class in, English class in seventh or eighth grade. Did you really? So yeah, I mean, yeah. terrible songs, of course, but just like, <laughs> but just the, the way that the stories and the history and people's experiences would then kind of turn into songs for me. Mm. I feel like I tell people about your music a lot, maybe more than anyone else as mm-hmm. a songwriter. I tell your, people about your music, and I always say you're like a modern-day hymn writer, mm-hmm. which is exactly what it feels like. Thank you. Yes. I do love the hymns. They tell that big story, yes. you know, just like start to finish. Yes. So I think it's a good practice not just to enjoy the old hymns, but to try to continue to say, what is the new song that mm-hmm. God's doing now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Well, Speaking of different songs, you've created a resource that we love called Rain for Roots. Mm-hmm. So fun. We sing some of the songs at Hopetown. Will you tell us a little bit about that and what you hope kids and parents experience with Rain for Roots? Yeah, this was a really special project that it really bubbled up organically through friendships with other families and moms. We were all having these conversations when our kids were very young. In fact, Ellie Holcomb was one of the first, and she didn't have any kids yet, but mm. she was, we were still having these conversations. And then Katie Hudson and Flo Oaks and Alice Smith, who's not a singer, but was also part of the conception of the project. And really, it just was a conversation around those songs that you get stuck in your head at camp or when you're a kid that you just kind of wish you didn't have in your head, you know, <laughs> like the songs that are like yes. an earworm. Pass it on. And we that like, well, we- <laughs> exactly. So you think like, okay, what, you know, if we could write those songs and instill those kind of melodies that would stick, mm-hmm. but truths that would actually give shape to our faith and what we believe that you could carry around and that you would sing by accident and you would sing when you're stressed or when you're scared. And we need them just as much as parents, as the kids, you know, as you guys know in your own writing, 
especially your book on worry. I mean, mm. just this sense that we, that's probably more for me than for mm. my daughter. Yes. Recently, I was thinking about like the scriptures that talk about temptation and how a lot of times we just think of temptation as sin, but honestly, like fear is a temptation, mm. right? Like fear is ready to pounce. It's ready to like, you know, take you down and keep you from being fruitful and to keep you locked in your room or locked in your own thoughts or your own head. And I think really these songs and what we wanted to do even from the youngest age is to say like, hey, you have a dentist appointment. You have... I remember once when my oldest had like a bunch of fillings, and mm-hmm. I remember listening to the first Rain for Roots thing that we had just made, you know, big stories for little ones, and just like tears, like as a mom having to take him to get these cavities filled and being really stressed about it, and a completely new experience in a really young child, and then thinking, what great practice, like these are baby teeth, right? This is like practice, but yet as he grows, we are all growing in this together to like hold on to these things mm. that give us life and support and comfort. So, is there a song specifically about fear that if there you have are, parents who are? That's a great question. That I remember the few of those, like the one about Daniel. That first album was based on Sally Lloyd Jones, has some poems, and she's just an incredible children's writer. I mean, writer in general and and human, but she had these poems for the youngest child. So there's that one, and there's the one about Moses in a boat, and mm-hmm. just like who saves the baby in the boat. And it's just ask the simple question, and then just a simple answer like God is the one. And mm-hmm. every time, like God is the one who's with you, and you're not alone. And so there's the storm, and there's Daniel, and there's Moses. I remember those three really mm-hmm. got a hold on me. I love, love that. that. Me too. <laughs> And Sandra, even building on that, you know, obviously as counselors, we talk a lot about feelings. And it seems at times that for kids, feelings can seem more true than truth. Mm. I think probably especially these days. And what would you say to parents who are trying to teach their kids to express their feelings and to also have a foundation of faith that undergirds those feelings? Well, I've learned so much from you guys around this topic both from your writing and from you guys as people. And it has taken me, and it continues to be a journey, of a long time to get a handle on feelings. I've always had kind of a sensitive spirit, and that was both a gift and a real liability sometimes, because mm-hmm. you're like, wow, I really wish I didn't have all, <laughs> all this emotion <laughs> spilling out everywhere. So I think for me, And my own kids, it's also been, I mean, they tease me about it. Like, I'll ask them how they're feeling. What are you feeling? And they now they, you know, that they're middle schoolers. I mean, they think that's kind of funny to tease me about, like, (laughs) about it. But I think at some point they'll probably come full circle and have an appreciation for that, even though they don't really want to tell me, like, the three things they're feeling right now at this moment. But I need it, too. So for me... Some of the simplest truths are just the practice of saying like, okay, if you're overwhelmed by something, I can go to a psalm and I can read a psalm that talks about that same thing, like Psalm 42, that talks about the waters have swept over me, you know, or just Mm. some of these images. And if you can hang on to an image and think like, okay, this isn't what's like final about me, but it's how I feel right now. And then it passes, right? Mm. And Mm. so these places where we can have like a tangible image that reminds us that we're going to get through this. And probably even in a few minutes, we're going to feel a lot better than we do right now. Mm. You know, like sometimes it's like, go get a snack, go get a glass of water, lay down for a minute, like take a walk. I mean, the most simple feet on the ground kind of things have helped me manage my feelings. Mm. 
There are two different things that makes me think of personally with you. One is I had Sandra come to one of my groups, one of my high school groups, probably three mm, years ago. That was so sweet. Oh, I mean, she did this imagery thing where you were kind of attaching them to an image of God as we were talking. And those girls, I think I had them in group for two years. That's wow. the group. Two years worth of groups <laughs> that I did with them. And that's the one they always oh, went back to wow. that they would anchor to spiritually. Mm. So. There's mm-hmm. so much power in mm-hmm. that. And as you're talking, I think about parents who have really big feelers. I feel like I sit with a lot of them. I know you do too. Oh, yes. That feel pretty lost as to how to deal mm-hmm. with it. And one of the things I can picture where we were sitting at dinner, I think when you and I first got to be friends and we were talking about kids with big feelings and I was saying, you know, one of the things that I see happen in my counseling practice is kids with big feelings sometimes have a hard time differentiating, not just how do I get to a place of truth, but when they're recounting a story, Mm -hmm. what's my feeling and what's truth? Mm -hmm. And I think parents can end up thinking they're not telling the truth regularly, that they're lying. And I remember you saying something like, when you have big feelings, that becomes your interpretation of truth. Like you're experiencing life through those feelings. So they're not intentionally telling a story. It's just their experience of life. And I think that was so helpful to me. And I've Hmm. not quoted you specifically, but said that to parents so many times since. That's so helpful to Hmm. realize that when you have big feelers. Yeah. It really is a lifelong journey, I think, to try to... I don't think I have it figured out, you know, and there's still sometimes that I have a hard time differentiating between, wow, this is how I feel about it. I'm, I'm overwhelmed or I'm afraid that this thing is going to happen or this happened before. What if it happens again? Those things just get bigger over time. Mm-hmm. And then, but then by God's grace, you can also learn to speak to those feelings. And so many times in scripture, the psalmist will talk to his own soul and just say like, hey, why are you downcast? Like, why are <laughs> you feeling this? And then say, put your hope in God. So there's this like call and response that... I think when we learn how to practice that, even as life becomes and feels more dangerous because we've experienced more, it's actually not more dangerous. It's the same as it was in the very beginning, and it's the same because God is still faithful. We learn these practices of like speaking truth to our feelings. Yes, yes, which is such a therapy tool. I mean, I feel like that's so much of what we do in Mm. our offices. So, Mm. yeah, I love that. We've talked a lot about where we are seeing parents more discouraged weary and feeling like failures, probably than we've ever seen at any time in our work. And um, what kind of hope and truth would you want those parents to anchor to? This is such an important question. And I think it would be important to say, even as we're gathered here in this room, like, I'm with you in it. Like, there's Mm -hmm. just this sense of deep, like, attentiveness to what the needs of the kids are. And just a question about, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to meet those needs. I don't know how to be all the things. I don't know when to be stronger and when to give in. I don't know. And it's changing. You think about, like, the first year of life when a baby is going from, like, zero to one. It's like an obstacle course because you're just like throwing things out. Okay, this worked. Okay, no, that doesn't work. Okay, let's try this other (laughs) thing. And then you get something that works and then it doesn't. I feel like even with middle schoolers, it's still happening. There's still Mm. this sense of like, we're trying it and we're not exactly sure. So the shift for me that helps the most, that gives me the most like a deep breath of hope is when I realize like, this is the long game, right? Mm. And you guys have both said that to me. I feel like y'all have coached me in that, but just playing the long game and continuing to say, we may not see that right in this moment, and there may be a lot of resistance. And the resistance for a 14-year-old is going to be a different resistance than you'd have for a two-year-old. 
But we humans just sometimes don't like to do the thing that's good for us. And so in this role where we're a parent or a coach or a mentor for a kid, it's like you trust your instincts, but then at the same time, you just kind of have to keep thinking about the long view because your instincts are going to kind of tell you, well, maybe I just want them to be happy right now. And that actually doesn't get you very far. That's not the long game. That's like, mm. oh, actually, yeah, that's kind of the opposite of what they need. So I have found that at each stage with my own kids, trying to zoom out, and again, about the feelings, like zoom out of those feelings, trying to get up to this aerial view of like, what do you want them to be? What's the end game, which would be like the thriving human that I could see them, you know, in the glory that God has given them, who mm-hmm. He's made them to be. I don't see that fully, but I see it more intimately than most people. Mm-hmm. And so if I can get a glimpse of that glory that God has for them, it would really give me a little different perspective on those difficult moments we have to pass through to get there. Mm-hmm. So it's sure something to pray for. It is, yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's hard, Mm -hmm. and the weariness is real, Mm -hmm. and you're not alone in it. I think when we realize and talk to other people that are in it, too, even though our circumstances are a little different, I think that helps a lot to Mm -hmm. just reach out to other moms and dads and, and just know you're not alone. The Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Did you know that Minnow has an award winning children's Bible? Written by VeggieTales creator Phil Vischer, the Minnow Laugh and Grow Bible for Kids is more than a children's Bible storybook. It's a deep, engaging, and whimsical gospel experience. Each Bible story is vividly illustrated, takes just minutes to read, and includes a family connection to encourage readers to learn, talk, and pray together. Find out more at shop.gominnow.com. That's shop.gominnow.com. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Yes, for the samples, because seasonal allergies are no joke in the state of Tennessee. Or Kentucky, where I spend the summers at Hopetown. I spend most of the summer outdoors and could not function without allergy relief. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. You just described my exact state in waking up minus the need for coffee. (laughs) I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can be outside with the kids at camp without my eyes watering like a fountain, and I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. But at Hopetown, a frog could jump into your boat or your bed, (laughs) and Claritin can't really help with that. That's true, but they've got allergies covered. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. So this season of our podcast is called Modern Parents 
vintage values. And we would love to hear you talk about if you had to say what is one issue you think is harder today for parents than ever before, what would you say it is? I've said a lot lately, just watching my own kids, it's a really hard time to grow up. Mm. Like there's just a lot of confusion over what is and what is not. And I was just actually thinking about this yesterday. Went on a road trip over Christmas. We went out west and we got in some winter weather and it was beautiful. And But looking out the window, there was snow that was on this big kind of desert plain area. And it looked kind of like, it looked like the top of a, you know, sweet potato casserole with the with, with the marshmallow <laughs> on top. Yes. It kind of had that like toasted marshmallow look and the grass was sticking up. But when I looked out at it, I thought, this is so much like where we had been a month before when we were at the beach and looking out at the sand dunes and the white over the, it almost looked like the same landscape. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, I think one of the hardest things now is that so much of what we take in is like these flat images or social media or text messages that are like two dimensional. They're actually not, you don't feel the temperature. You don't know if it's sand or snow. And I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of disorientation for families and not just kids. So like when you talk about feelings, yeah. you're just like, oh my gosh, we don't, I don't know the difference. Mm. I don't know what's what. And then I thought of when Jesus is having this conversation with Thomas after the resurrection and Thomas is like withdrawing because he doesn't know what's what and he doesn't know if that's really Jesus. And Jesus is just like, he inclines to him and he says like, put your hand in my side Mm. and see the wounds. And then what happens right after that, this declaration where Thomas says, my Lord and my God. I mean, I think it's like there's so much mystery to that exchange of what's happening, but I think what's happening is he's saying, man, press in, find out if it's sand or snow, because there is an actual answer to that question. It may take a little time, and you may not know yet, but there is an answer. And I think we're just in a culture and in a time that says, like, maybe there isn't an answer. And there is, mm-hmm. you know? And there, that doesn't mean, like, every mm-hmm. question is going to have an answer right now. And I think the questions are part of our relationship with faith and with God and knowing Him. But there is an answer. Mm. As you're saying that, it just made me think, that is something I'd love to talk about in group. Like, what a great question for kids today. What's an area of your life that feels like sand or snow that you feel kind of lost and could be a cool conversation Mm. to have with your kids around the dinner table? Love that. To go towards that. I love that. That was amazing. I'll have to try it and see, <laughs> see if they'll sure do it. They have more stories. <laughs> when I actually try it in real life, I don't know. <laughs> Report back to us on yes, that. Yes, yes. We'll do. With teenagers, you need to do it side by side around queso, all the things That's that we talk true. about. Yeah, getting them to talk. And continuing with the whole modern parents' vintage values theme, what is something from your childhood that you wish was still true today? I wish we sang together more, like in the living room or on our porches or just like not just with microphones. And I mean, and I love the work. I'm so grateful for the work I get to do. But I think the thing I would love to bring back is just like folk singing, like Uh, the music of the people, the songs that we share. And you guys do this at camp, like at Hopetown. I mean, this is, I've seen it firsthand and it's like we come to life when we're singing together. So places other than, I mean, I think it's beautiful happening on Sunday mornings in our church context, but what if it happened everywhere? You know, what if it was spontaneous? and it was in our work. And and I don't actually do this in real life. Part of it's because I'm still that shy kid and I'm not going to just like belt it out. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do wish that we did more of that. Mm. Did you do that growing up? Would y'all sing um, my dad was always singing. Really? We always had the record player on. So it wasn't the same kind of formal thing, but music was a big part of our 
kind of in the background. Mm-hmm. So did y'all, I bet y'all sang some. Oh, we did. Yeah. Because yeah, my mom and dad both sang. <laughs> I, know. I love that. We did a ton. Did you all play instruments or any of that? Like, was we there attempted. Kind of, okay. <laughs> we attempted. I had a guitar teacher at one point in my adult life. I gave it a shot who said, you know, David, this might not be the best investment of, <laughs> of your money or my time. <laughs> he was great. I mean, he was so kind, but it was thinking, let's just think about this for a minute. So I have an appreciation for music. Mm-hmm. I play the radio really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I love what you're saying. I know, and I me think too. that is something I miss too. I loved how you talked about how we come alive in it. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I mean, we sure were not singing in my house. I can't even fathom that. But we were dancing in Motown mm, sometimes. And so, I, you know, I think Same it principle. could be, yes, yes, whatever way you can incorporate music. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so let's go old school for a minute in a silly way. And if you have from your childhood a favorite band, book, show, something like that, we would love to hear about it. Mm. Probably the first thing that comes to mind is My Fair Lady. I was super into all the shows and show tunes, and that was right alongside the hymns for me. It was like learning how to play all the songs on the piano and sing them. So I loved, man, I loved that musical so much. When you've done some covers lately. Yes, been working on an album of covers. Say, this is a great moment to talk I, about well, that. I should do a My Fair Lady song. <laughs> that would be so fun. <laughs> that would be, Singer that's always version. been my go-to, like a karaoke is to pull something from one of those show tunes, which I would never be able to pull off live, but it's really fun. Yeah, I've been working on an album of covers. It is a reflection of some of those songs from the record player, you know, things that I was shaped by, Jackson Brown, Bob Mm -hmm. Dylan, Johnny Cash. I'm not doing a Johnny Cash song, but I'm doing one that I learned a Dylan song from Johnny Cash. (laughs) So it's kind of all in there. And those are coming out a little bit at a time, and it'll be out in March, the full album. So I'm excited about that. What's it called? Carry Each Other. So that title's from the U2 song, One, which is on that album, too. Mm. So we worked on it during the pandemic before the vaccinations had all kind of rolled out. So we were all just like traveling. In fact, the people that traveled there to work on this record had come from L.A. and New York down to Texas, literally drove to do all these different musical projects. We spent two or three days recording these songs, and no one had been able to sing with one another in the room. And this Mm. was the first time we'd been able to do that after a long break. So it was really meaningful. It just kind of captured this Polaroid of time. Mm. And then also, I had wanted to do this project for a long time. So that's so fun. It's like a double joy. Yes. And I haven't seen you since you released that, but Sandra, they're amazing. Oh, thank you. Wherever you're listening right now, (laughs) wherever you get your music, get it. Like, I love it. And, And I think, too, it just speaks to your gifts, too, like that you would be a modern-day hymn writer, and mm. these stunning covers. Like, Thanks. you could do all of that. It just is, is mind-blowing to me. But they're great. Thank you so Happy much. Happy to get to tell you that. <laughs> well, speaking of all the amazing things you, you've done, will you talk a little bit about your book mm-hmm. and also any other projects that you're working on besides that? In the co- You have so many things going on. <laughs> and where people can find you. Yes. I had a book that just came out this last year, Send Out Your Light. It was Something I've been working on for a while and then just ended up, the timing was really kind of providential with the pandemic because this is reflection on songwriting and on scripture and how all those things weave together for me. So that's been a real joy to put that forward. And 
tells some stories about how I ended up doing this work and why I love hymns and all those kinds of things too. So this year, also working on an album that's coming out later this spring, which is an album. Some of these songs have been recorded before, some songs like We Will Feast and Mm -hmm. Christ is the Life of the World, but then some new songs as well from the Faithful Project. But basically pulled together an album of jazz musicians, largely jazz musicians. Cool. So it's like interpretations of these songs that are a little more extended. And it was such a blast to record with these guys. So we recorded it in Texas at Lady Lodge when everything mm. was closed down. We just set up in a room and recorded some of these songs together and had some friends singing background vocals. And it was really a communal effort. And that's called Light in the Canyon, and that's mm. coming out oh, later cool. this year. So they kind of go in tandem. Wait. It's a little bit with wow. the book and trying to name some of those songs that were part of the themes in the writing and mm. in my own story. I'm sure you know about the Chris Sostom Societies. I don't know if that's how you say it. You know about I don't them? know. I think it's how I first heard about Lady Lodge. I would go to summer camp real close to that. Oh, for, yeah. I spent six summers down there. But I don't know who all it was. I know it was Eugene Peterson, Madeline Lingle, Lucy Shaw, oh, wow. Walter Wanger, and They would all go and meet for oh, a week wow. at Lady Lodge. I've heard Lodge. stories of this. Yeah, and they were called the Chris Sostom Society. I always think anything that happens at that place, it's like those yes. people, their, yeah. I don't know, mojo went out in there. <laughs> and so it makes sense that you would create an amazing oh, album. Oh, I love Lady that. Lodge. We have gotten to work with them some, and we love them, and yes, we're, yeah. I think we're going. For the first time Ooh, in May. So we can't wait. Oh family camp. To the family camp. Okay. Yes. Oh, yes. I can't wait. We can't wait either. You know that term, like it's a place where heaven and earth kind of meet. There's like oh, a thin wow. space between the two. It yes. really is very much like that. And when I was writing the book, actually, the very first chapter, the first reflections was a memory of being in that in the lodge and Mm. watching the sun come up and watching the light change, thinking about how so much of what happens to us is so subtle, like the changes and the growth and the things. It's like the light's coming up in the morning and just, you know, it's these images remind us of the faithfulness of God. But in a place like that, you just get this concentrated dose of it without all the other distractions. Mm. So yes, thankful for places like that. Yes. Can't wait to experience it. It may just have to listen to your new record there for the first time, (laughs) where it happened. I'm so excited about that project. Thank you so much. And excited that in a few minutes, as Sissy previewed, you're going to share some music with us. We're so honored that you would do that. But before we do, we like to end with something kind of fun and true to us. If we were able to share a meal with you and we had tacos, what's your favorite taco? (laughs) My favorite taco. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, this is... You can What's dream big because right it could be it could be a taco in any restaurant you've been to across the globe, it or it could be if we Lodge. came to your oh house gosh. and you made tacos for us. Your favorite, you can dream as big as you want in this. Could you do like a breakfast taco? Yes. yes Has you anybody could. ever done this? I've yes, never done could, this, but immediately yes, when while we're imagining best case scenarios, something where you could put like syrup and oh. it could be like a sweet and savory. Mm. I don't know. That's what comes to mind. That's a great idea. Yes. But speaking of meals, I have to tell you all too, with the evening in December this year, yes. which was this beautiful presentation of the box. Evening in December is one of our biggest fundraisers of the year at Daystar because as you all probably know, we never turn anybody away based on income. And so we have a couple of fundraisers and evening in December is one that you have been so gracious and some participated. 
it in. I, I don't just know how many it. years. I don't know either, but now it's just part of our year. It's part well, of our I'm glad to hear that. Rhythm. Yes, <laughs> we like we that. Are. So this year we couldn't have it and we had a box. And it, with <laughs> the box, there was a dinner and there was a video kind of talking about Daystar. We should put a link to the video in the show notes that folks can watch. It opens with this stunning music. There you go. Well, <laughs> you're so Sandra. sweet. Sandra. Mm-hmm. So it's Joy a, to the World. Joy to the World, Oh Holy Night. There's this little yes. clip that was somehow like miraculously embedded in the box. So you open the box and you can hear me singing. So I get back in town from the Christmas tour and my husband plays a practical joke on me. He pulls out the inner workings of this thing, puts it in our silverware drawer to where when I open the silverware drawer, he's like, would you grab me a fork? All of a sudden my voice is singing. I'm no. singing back to myself from the silverware drawer. He got the biggest, I mean, I was like, what so good. So my family now has a running joke and it's still in there. It's a little bit off to the side so I don't have to hear it every time. It's no. really The evening of December keeps on giving, like the the gift that keeps on giving for sure. Anyway, we did hear some comments about how do I get the box to stop singing. (laughs) It's really great. It was pretty magical. Thank you guys for letting me be part of that. Thank you for being a part of it. I do have to mention too that was the first time you sang it evening in December after that birthday party of mine? It might have been. That sounds about right. I, that I mean, birthday party was pretty... I was about to say, I think on my deathbed, <laughs> so I'm going to say fun. my favorite birthday party of all oh my times. Gosh. David, you were there. I was. Only females were invited to this party, <laughs> so were... I had to offer my service. I was a waiter at this party. I put on a bow tie and an apron <laughs> just so I could come I'm to hear the music and celebrate you. Because that was so Sandra and Cindy and Jill, it was mm-hmm. the... Oh, and Kelly, who uh-huh. we have had all of you on the podcast, y'all sang, I don't know how many songs, and we sang with you. Motown. It was kind of what you've Speaking been describing. Speaking Motown, that was I know. so much fun. Oh my goodness, y'all's version of Ain't No Mountain High Enough. I mean, you killed it, it on the insane. guitar. It was, it was insane. insane. Y'all, I need to send you the video. It was oh incredible. Take it till you make it. Yes. No, <laughs> it was incredible. Right. Really, I like think love about it. that birthday party I all the time. It. I think Me too. I'll never have a birthday that tops that. It was oh just so fun. I love it. So amazing. So you're going to sing for us. Yes. We will feast. Yeah, let's and do it. When we talked about wanting you to sing, I feel like we went so back and forth on what do we want her to sing? We love Rain for Roots. Maybe my favorite song of all times is The Mercy. You probably have a favorite song. I wanted you to do the whole cover album today. I mean, yeah, we just (laughs) wanted the whole podcast to be you running through your catalog. I know. But We Will Feast is a real anchoring song for us at Hopetown. It's something we go back to. And I think lyrically, especially, we just go back to it over and over to stand with kids who have experienced sorrow and have those words, them sing them and sung over them and both cases. So that's I'm so glad. When I think about the creative work and I think about, I don't know if this is this way for you guys with writing, but you don't really know in the moment how mm. those things will kind of open up over time. Mm. And so the day I was writing that song in Texas and then it was actually like a really hard day. It was a really hard season. And then thinking that song actually was like a gift where it gives, it kind of sends you forward. There's a sense of imagination. One of the other agents of hope is really just imagination. And it's not just Disneyland. It's not just pie in the sky. But the fact that we would imagine that God has a future and a hope for us. And there's so much of that in Scripture that we can draw upon. And this idea of feasting together, of sitting around a table, and it really has. Like, it's carried me. And I look back at different seasons when I've been singing this song and just the joy and the fruitfulness and God's Mm. restoration that's still at hand. It's still Mm. underway. And... We sing these kind of things until it's fully realized, you know? So, yes. yeah, thank you. I'm so glad it's been a useful song at camp, too, mm. for people that are already in the not yet. Mm. A transformative song at camp. Mm. 
Thank you. I had a memory. I've told so many stories today, personal stories of us, but I don't think we've ever told you this. That, I mean, you know, but the first time we ever met you was at, I think both of us, you had never met her either till Al Andrews with Porter's Call, which is a ministry to songwriters, Mm -hmm. had us come do a parenting seminar. And right before we started doing that, you came over to me and said, Sandra McCracken is here. And we didn't know you. <laughs> no Do you remember this? That For was God, really yeah. memorable. I was so intimidated. Mm-hmm. I mean, you at the time before I'd ever met you were oh. one of my very favorite oh musicians and yours too. Yeah, absolutely. And we both were like, <gasps> so oh. nervous about the fact that you're in the room. That's so. wild. I remember that night really well. Took wow. notes. I remember things you all taught that night. Mm. Made wow. a real impression on us as listeners. It feels so full circle to have you sitting That's in this crazy. room sharing sure truth and wisdom and music and grateful just for you guys. your giftedness. Oh, you too, friend. Thank you, you do. for yeah. being here. Truly. So grateful for the work you do and the impact it has on us. Mm-hmm. And we know we'll have on everybody listening. So thank you, thank friends. You. Thank you all. 
Raising Boys and Girls podcast is brought to you in partnership with Minnow. Minnow helps you make screen time meaningful for your family with shows kids love and values parents trust. Check them out at podcast.gominnow.com. That's podcast.g-o-m-i-n-n-o.com. It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House. Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.